Chapter 70 of Consuelo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Consuelo by George Sand. Chapter 70. Hayden never had reason to regret his journey, nor the sufferings to which it had subjected him for he made considerable progress in Italian, and acquired a more thorough knowledge of music than he ever had before. During their long halts in the shaded recesses of the Bermavald, the young artists revealed to each other all their genius and skill. Though Joseph Hayden sang well, and played agreeably on the violin and other instruments, he soon saw, when listening to Consuelo, that she was infinitely his superior, and that she could make him an excellent artist without Porpora's aid. But Hayden's ambition was not confined to singing merely, and Consuelo, seeing him so backward as to the practical part, while in theory he was so lofty and correct, said to him one day, smiling, I am not sure that I am right to confine you to vocal music, for... If you once become attached to the profession of singer, you will perhaps sacrifice to it the still higher powers which you possess. Let me look at your composition, notwithstanding my long and arduous study of counterpoint with so severe a master as Porpora. What I have learned only suffices to enable me to understand the creations of genius, and I have no longer time, even had I sufficient ability, to produce original works, whereas, if you indeed possess creative power, you should follow this path and only look upon singing and instrumentation as materials. Since Hayden had met Consuelo, he had, in fact, thought only of becoming a singer, to follow or live near her, to find her everywhere in his wandering life, had become his ardent dream during the last few days. He therefore hesitated to show her his first manuscript, although he had it with him, having written it out before going to Pilsen. He feared equally to appear deficient as to display talents that might induce him to combat his desire to be a singer. However, he yielded at last, and half willingly and half reluctantly, he allowed her to get possession of the mysterious manuscript. It was a little sonata for the harpsichord, which he intended for his pupils. Consuelo read it with her eyes, while Joseph marveled to see her comprehend it as easily as if she had heard him play it. She afterward made him try different passages on the violin, and sang those herself which were practicable for the voice. I know not if Consuelo defined from this trifle the future author of the creation and so many other remarkable works. But assuredly, she foresaw in him an able master, and said, as she returned his manuscript, Courage, Beppo, thou art already a distinguished artist, and mayest be a distinguished composer, if thou wilt only study. Thou hast ideas, that is certain. With these and science much may be done. Acquire science, therefore, and let us triumph over Porpora's temper, for he is the master that you require. 
but think no longer of the stage. Thy place is elsewhere, and thy baton of command is the pen. Thou must not obey but rule. When you may become the animating soul, would you rank yourself among the machinery? Come then, thou maestro in the bud. Study shakes and cadences no more. Only study where you are to place them in your compositions, and not how they are to be executed. This concerns your very humble servant and subordinate, who requests from you the post of prima donna in the first mezzo-soprano part that you intend to write. Oh, Consuelo de mi alma, exclaimed Joseph, transported with joy and hope. Write for you? Be understood and expressed by you? What glory, what ambition. But no, it is madness. It is a dream. Teach me to sing. I would rather study to render according to your genius and feeling the ideas of others than to sully your divine lips by placing in them accents unworthy of you. Come, come, said Consuelo, a truce to ceremony. Improvise a little, sometimes on the violin, sometimes with your voice. It is thus that inspiration flows from the lips and from the points of one's fingers. I shall see if you have within you the divine impulse, or if you are merely an echo of the thoughts of others. Hayden obeyed. She observed with pleasure that he was not learned, and that there was youth, freshness, and ability in his ideas. She encouraged him more and more, and henceforth would only teach him to sing in order, as she said, to point out to him in what manner the voice part should be introduced. They amused themselves afterward with little Italian duets, which she taught him and which he learned by heart. If we want money, said she, before our journey is finished, we can very well sing a little, by the way. Besides, the police may put us to the trial in order to see that we are none of those wandering cut purses, alas, too numerous, who dishonor the profession. Let us be prepared for every casualty. My voice, keeping in contralto passages, may very well pass for that of a boy before it is broken. You must also learn a few airs on the violin in order to accompany me. You will find that it is no bad study. These popular melodies are full of nerve and originality, and as to my old Spanish ballads, they are perfect gems of originality and genius. Turn them to account, my dear maestro. Ideas beget ideas. These were enchanting days for Hayden. It was then, perhaps, that he first conceived the idea of those infantile and delightful compositions which he afterward composed for the amusement of the young Princess Esterhazy. Consuelo introduced into her lessons such gaiety, grace, and animation that the good Joseph recalled once more to the happy and innocent petulance of youth, forgot his privations and his disquietude, and only longed that this wandering education might never cease. We do not intend to describe accurately their route, as we are but slightly acquainted with the paths of the Burma Vald. We should only lead the reader astray were we to attempt to trace it from the confused record which has been transmitted to us. Suffice it to say 
the first half of their journey was, upon the whole, more agreeable than otherwise, until an adventure befell them which we cannot pass over in silence. They had followed the northern bank of the Maldol from its source, both because it was less frequented and seemed more picturesque. They had been descending, therefore, during one entire day, the steep ravine which extended parallel with the Danube. But when they reached the heights of Chenal and saw the mountain chain sinking to the level of the plain, they regretted that they had not followed the other bank of the river, and consequently the opposite chain, whose lofty peaks they saw in the distance, taking the direction of Bavaria. These woody mountains offered them more natural shelter and romantic halting places than the valleys of Bohemia. During their pauses by day in the forest, they amused themselves by snaring small birds, and when, their siesta being at an end, they found their snares filled with game, they cooked them in the open air and found their repast sumptuous. They spared only the nightingales, as they professed to consider them as professional brethren. The poor children, therefore, proceeded in search of a ford, but the river was rapid, bordered by steep banks and swollen by the rains. They came at length to a sort of pier, to which was moored a boat in charge of a child. They hesitated to approach it, as they saw several people before them bargaining for a passage. These men, after taking leave of each other, separated, three proceeding to the north, while two entered the boat. This determined Consuelo. We must meet strangers, said she, either on the right or left. Therefore it is just as well to cross at once. Hayden hesitated a little, and was assuring her that these people looked ill, and were otherwise noisy and savage, when one of them, as if to contradict this unfavorable impression, stopped the boat and cried to Consuelo in German, with an air of mingled gaiety and benevolence, "'Come, my child, get in. The boat is not very heavy, and we can easily take you with us if you choose.' "'Many thanks, sir,' replied Hayden. "'We shall take advantage of your kind permission.' "'Come, then,' said the one who had spoken, and whom his companion called Mayor. "'Jump in.' Hardly had Joseph entered the boat when he remarked that the strangers gazed at Consuelo and himself with marked attention and curiosity. Irmir's face, however, seemed animated only by gaiety and good nature. His voice was agreeable, his manners polished, and Consuelo felt assured by his gray hairs and paternal aspect. "'You are a musician, my lad,' said he to the latter. "'At your service, worthy sir,' replied Joseph." You also said Hermia to Joseph, and then pointing to Consuelo. This is doubtless your brother, added he. No, sir, he is a friend, replied Joseph. We are not even from the same country, and he understands very little German. To what country, then, does he belong, continued Hermia, still looking at Consuelo. To Italy, sir, replied Hayden. Venetian, Genoese, Roman, Neapolitan, a Calabrian, said Hermia, pronouncing each name in its peculiar dialect with admirable exactness. Oh, sir, I see that you can speak with all kinds of Italian, said Consuelo at length, 
not wishing to make herself remarkable by remaining longer silent. I am from Venice. Ah, that is a lovely country, replied Amir, immediately using the dialect so familiar to Consuelo. Is it long since you left it? Only six months. And you travel about the country playing the violin? No, he plays, said Consuelo, pointing to Joseph, and I sing. And you play on no instrument, neither oboe, flute, nor tambourine? No, it would be useless. But if you were a good musician, you could easily learn. Is not that so? Oh, certainly, if it were necessary. But you would not care about it? No, I would rather sing. And you are right. Nevertheless, you will be forced to quit it or change your profession, at least for some time. Why so, sir? Because your voice will soon break, if it have not already done so. How old are you? Fourteen or fifteen at most? Something like that. Well then, before a year is past, you will sing like a little frog, and it is not at all certain that you will once more become a nightingale. It is a trying period from childhood to youth. Sometimes the voice is lost with the approach of manhood. In your place, I would learn to play on the fife. You could always gain a living. I shall see to it, should it come to pass. And you, my fine fellow, said Ermeyer, addressing Joseph in German, do you play only the violin? Excuse me, sir, replied Joseph, becoming confident in his turn, on seeing that the good mayor in no way embarrassed Consuelo, I play a little on different instruments. Which, for instance? The piano, the harp, the flute, and short a little on everything. With such talents you are wrong to wander about thus. It is a rude calling, and I perceive that your companion, who is still younger and more delicate than yourself, limps already. Do you think so, said Joseph? who in fact had only too plainly observed it, although Consuela would not confess that her feet was swollen and painful. I saw that it was with difficulty he got into the boat, replied Mayor. What would you have, sir? said Hayden, assuming a philosophical air. We cannot have everything, and when we suffer, why, we must suffer. But when you can live more happily and more respectably by remaining in one fixed place, is it not better? I do not like to see intelligent and gentle lads, as you appear, going about thus. Believe one who has children of his own, my young friends, and who probably will never see you again. It destroys both health and happiness to seek after adventures in this way. Remember what I say. Thanks for your good advice, replied Consuelo, with an affectionate smile. We shall perhaps avail ourselves of it. God preserve you, my little gondolier, said Mia to Consuelo, who had mechanically taken an oar and commenced, according to her Venetian habits, to urge forward the boat. The bark touched the shore at last, not, however, without having been swept down the river a considerable distance by the strength of the current. Ermea bade them a friendly adieu, while his silent comrade paid the hire of the boat. After suitable thanks, Consuelo and Joseph struck into a path which led to the mountains, while their late companions kept along the level margin of the river.
That mayor seems an honest fellow, said Consuelo, looking back once more ere he disappeared from their sight. I am sure he is a good father. He is both inquisitive and a babbler, replied Joseph, and I am rejoiced you are freed from his crossed questions. Like all persons who have traveled much, he likes to converse. He is doubtless a cosmopolitan, at least if one may judge from his skill in languages. Of what country can he be? He seems a native of Saxony, although he speaks the Austrian dialect uncommonly well. He is probably from the north of Germany, a Prussian perhaps. So much the worse, I do not like the Prussians, and King Frederick still less. After all, I heard of him at the castle of the giants. In that case, you will be pleased at Vienna, for there this philosophical and warlike king has no partisans. Thus conversing, they advanced into the forest by paths which sometimes were lost amid the pine trees and sometimes led along the scarp of the hills. Consuela found these Carpathian mountains more agreeable than sublime. She had frequently crossed the Alps and could not comprehend Joseph's transports, who had never seen such majestic peaks before. The latter's impressions, therefore, found vent in enthusiastic praises while Consuelo was more disposed for revelry. Besides, Consuelo was dreadfully tired, and did her utmost to conceal her fatigue from Joseph, in order not to give him any fresh uneasiness. They rested for some hours, and after a slight repast, enlivened by music, they set out once more at sunset. But soon Consuelo, although she had often bathed her delicate feet in the crystal stream, like the heroines of romance, felt her feet bruised against the stones, and was obliged perforce to declare that her strength would not suffice for the night's journey. Unhappily, the country was quite deserted on that side. There was no monastery, not so much as a cabin or a chalet to be seen on the slopes of the Malto. Joseph was in despair. The night was too cold to permit them to sleep in the open air. At length, through an opening between two hills, they perceived lights at the foot of an opposite declivity. The valley toward which they descended was Bavaria, but the town which they discerned was further off than they had at first imagined, and it appeared to the unhappy Joseph that it receded in proportion as they advanced. To crown their misfortunes, the weather changed, and a small cold rain began to fall. In a few moments the air became so thick that the lights disappeared, and our travelers having arrived, not without danger and difficulties, at the foot of the mountain, knew not how to direct their course. They were in a tolerably broad and level road, however, and they continued to drag along their weary limbs, still descending, when they heard the noise of an approaching carriage. Joseph did not hesitate to ask directions respecting the road and the possibility of finding an asylum for the night. "'Who goes there?' replied a loud voice, and at the same time they heard the click of a pistol. "'Be off, or I will blow your brains out.' "'We are not very dangerous opponents,' said Joseph, without being disconcerted. "'We are only two poor youths who ask our way.' "'Ha!' cried another voice 
which Consuelo recognized as that of the good air mayor. At these are not my little companions of the morning. I recognize the accent of the eldest. Are you there too, my little gondolier? He added in Venetian, addressing Consuelo. I am, she replied in the same dialect. We have lost our way, and we wish to know where we can find a stable or a palace where we might obtain shelter. Tell us if you know. Oh, my poor children, replied Mayor. You are ten long miles at least from any habitation. You will not even find a dog kennel all along these mountains. But I pity you. Get into my carriage. I can give you two places without inconvenience. Come, no ceremony. Get in. Oh, sir, you are a great deal too good, said Consuelo, touched by the good man's kindness. But you are going northward, and we toward Austria. No, I am going to the west. In an hour at most, I shall set you down at Biberrock. You can spend the night there, and tomorrow you may reach Austria. It will even shorten your journey. Come, decide, if you do not prefer the rain and wish to keep us back. Courage, then, said Consuelo in undertone to Joseph, and they got into the carriage. They observed that there were three passengers, two before, one of whom drove, the other, who was here mayor, sat behind. Consuelo took a corner, Joseph the middle. The spacious vehicle had room for six persons. The horse, who was a powerful brute, lashed by a vigorous hand, darted forward, jingling the bells on his collar and tossing his head with impatience. End of chapter 70